Tonight we're going to be looking at Mormonism. And so let me spend some time in prayer, and then we will start. If you, um, we've got, I've got some handouts in the back. If you don't have one of those, you can get one, uh, and you can hopefully it'll kind of guide you through. Uh, if, hopefully you can see this. Uh, if you cannot, no worries. Uh, this is just going to be some things, but I will say everything that will be up there. So, uh, so don't worry if you can't see that very well. So let me pray. Father, I just um, thank you for who you are, Lord, and, and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus, Lord. And I thank you for keeping us safe, keeping us warm, Lord. We, we thank you for that grace that you gave to us, uh, even amongst these, you know, bad storms that come in, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we get a chance to come here tonight, that we have a desire to be here tonight, Lord. It's all, all uh, about you and your grace, Lord, that you give to us that we don't deserve and uh, Lord, just be with us tonight as we, we walk through uh, these other religions, Lord. And we want to thank you for your truth that we know, your truth, um, Lord. But, but we also want to know what is out there, what other things in the world are being taught, and how can we understand what those things are, but also where they line up with what we know the truth is. And so, Lord, as we walk through this on Mormonism tonight, just give us uh, wisdom Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, teach us, Lord, what you want us to know, and, uh, and just, again, Lord, open up our hearts, teach us again, and we pray that in all these things, in Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about Mormonism, and so the question that we want to ask is, is what is, or what do you think of when you think of Mormonism? If I just all of a sudden ask you, what is Mormonism? What is the first thing that you, you think about? Well, maybe this is what you think about, right? Um, we've probably all seen uh, these people out in the community, maybe even at your front door. Or maybe this is another thing that you think about. Uh, but if we're honest, if we're truly honest, this is probably what we think about, right? When they're knocking on your door, and this is probably what we think about uh, when we think about Mormonism, but in all seriousness, what are we going to be talking about tonight? And so this is where we're going to go tonight. Um, a lot to cover, and so uh, we're going to go. Uh, I know a lot of it, I'm just going to say it out front, it's going to be a lot of stuff thrown at you. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so hopefully you'll learn some things. I will say this, a disclaimer here in the very beginning, is that I had to write a paper on Mormonism in my last class just recently and, um, and so I was excited as I wrote this, knowing that I was going to teach this. But what I was hoping, though, was that my paper would be graded before I came to this. And it hasn't been. So please write in pencil. And if I get a bad grade, I will email every one of you. And I will tell you, hey, you know, don't take that what I told you because I made an F on the paper. If I make an A, then we're all good to go. So, but where are we going to go tonight? What is Mormonism? Where did it come from? Uh, what do they believe? And we're going to talk about some overview of things, not every detail of what they believe. Uh, and so, but, but what are the main beliefs? What is their mission? Why are they out there all the time, out there spreading what they believe is the truth? How do they line up with what we believe? And a lot of this you're going to see from, probably from, remember from last week if you were here, and that's okay if you were or were not here. And then how can we engage them with the gospel? So that's where we're going tonight. So what is Mormonism? Well, according to their website, 
the church would prefer to be called the restored gospel of Jesus Christ over Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism's had a great influence and influence in the world today. There are really two branches, two main branches uh, that when you talk about Mormonism, one is is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS, which is located in Salt Lake City. That is probably the one that most people know about. That's the one we're going to focus on tonight. Uh, but there was another one, another main branch was called or is called the Community in Christ. It was the formerly the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, R-E-L-D-S, which is located in Independence, Missouri. And so, uh, but again, we're going to focus. We'll, we'll tell you a little history of how this came to be when we get into the history part. But again, we're going to mainly focus on the LDS um, from their beliefs and things like that. Their Mormons make up about 16 million people around the world, and they continue to grow. And they have about 70,000 full-time missionaries. They're involved in U.S. politics, and they have been very successful in society and they contributed to societal good. So they've, they've done a lot of things out there in the community. And, over the, and they hold to different doctrines and practices. And these practices are primarily based on divine revelations of their prophets and their apostles. Listen to what Andrew Jackson says. He says this, In the Mormon mind, what God, now listen to this, what God communicated, communicated in the past, even if identified as Holy Scripture, is always secondary to what God is saying to ordained Mormon apostles and prophets today. Think about what he just said there. That everything that, that may have been communicated by Scripture, right, is, is not the truth. It's always secondary to what is being told by our, to our apostles and prophets today. And so even though the Mormons do value the Bible, they believe that it's been corrupted. If you ever studied uh, uh, Islam, Islam is the same way. They believe that they do see Scripture, they do even acknowledge it, but they say that it's been corrupted. So they have a better version uh, called the Book of Mormon. They also have what they call a Doctrine and Covenants, which we'll see some of that tonight, and also the Pearl of Great Price. Those are the big doctrines, uh, Scriptures that they use. Again, they do see Scripture and acknowledge it, but they think it was, um, was corrupted, if that makes sense. So, so what is the history of Mormonism. We're going to run through their history to tell you how it got started and where it is today. Um, and so really and truly looking at this, it was founded in the early 19th century by a man named Joseph Smith uh, when he was 14 years old. Uh, during this time, New York State was experiencing a revival similar to the Second Great Awakening. If you know history, you've probably heard of the Second Great Awakening. And the result of this was many Christians, they were wanting to break away from the creed-centered Christianity and pursue more of the New Testament church. Also during this time, the 14-year-old Smith, he was, he was asking this question to God. He was trying to ask God, what denomination is the true one? There were so many denominations out there, and you can imagine that's what we see today. And he was asking God, which one is the true one? Which one do I need to kind of follow because I don't know there's so many out there. Uh, he was asking God at this time. In uh, 1820, Smith was given a divine vision and visitation from God and Jesus Christ, and he was told, don't join any of these denominations that you're, that you're looking at. Don't, don't join any of them because they're all corrupt um, and their creeds were heretic. Smith said this. He said, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell 
upon me. And so as he's, he gets this vision, and then in 1830, he gets a, he's visited by three, uh, he's three visits by an angel named Moroni. And then this is what they believe. And during these visitations, Moroni provided Smith with a secret and sacred book engraved on gold plates, which Smith would later translate to become the book of mourning, of Mormon, sorry. And then on April, April the 6th, and you're going to see there's a lot of visions that he has that is leading him where this ultimately would go. So on eight, April 6th, 1830, 10 years after Smith's first vision, he and approximately 40 to 50 people gathered in New York as the first official Mormon church known as the Church of Christ. Uh, Joseph Smith and another man named Oliver Cowdery would be the first ordained elders. We keep going on June 9th, 1930, Smith would receive another vision where the members of the church were told by God to receive uh, Joseph's words are coming directly from God, and he himself would be the keys to the kingdom of God. If you remember in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I will build my church, and then he says, he goes on and says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of God. That's, that was, I believe that was a sign of God giving the authority over the local church. Um, you know, the Catholics believe that he gave that over to Peter, and eventually uh, he was the first pope. And then that's why they believe they are the true church, because they believe they have the keys to the kingdom of God. Well, Joseph Smith believes that he was told by God that he has the keys to the kingdom of God. And that's why he has all authority over the true church. Even today, the ultimate authority over the Mormon church resides with the president and the prophet. Remember what I said earlier? Everything that was in scripture really is not the truth. It depends on what is being told to the prophets in the Mormon religion. Under the leadership, Mormonism would grow and spread west. As Mormonism spread throughout America, the Mormons believed the New Jerusalem would be found in America specifically on the border of the western Indian territory of the American continent. Around 1830, Smith received again another vision. He was told to move the headquarters from New York to Ohio, thus moving them closer to the New Jerusalem. They believed the New Jerusalem was on in America, and they were moving to closer to it. In 1831, the Mormons would begin a journey to the state of Ohio. That same year, Smith received another vision that directed him to send some of the missionaries to Missouri where they would inherit the New Jerusalem. Once the group arrived in Missouri, they were given a revelation which led them to Independence, Missouri, where they believed the location of the New Jerusalem was. And then hard times would fall in Ohio. Remember, Joseph Smith's in Ohio. He sent another group to Missouri. Hard times fall on those in Ohio, and it caused many of them to abandon Mormonism, and the remainder of them followed Smith. Now Smith leaves, and he goes to Missouri. In Independence, Missouri, uh, all of a sudden it starts filling up with all these Mormons. The city revolts, and what happens? They push Smith and all of his fathers, followers out of the city. In 1839, Smith and his followers would leave Independence, set up a new headquarters, and he would change the name from the Mormon church to, guess what, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS. Smith and his followers would receive another attack from the state of Missouri where they would be pushed out of the whole state, and they would all flee to Illinois and to Iowa. And then in 1844, Smith ran for president of the United States where he desired to create a theocracy. He wanted to, to take their beliefs and he wanted to create a, a country based around those beliefs. But he and some of his leaders were arrested on charge of treason. And he, while he was waiting on trial, he was shot and killed on June 27, 1844. 
And then after his death, this is where the two uh, different branches come from. After his death, there was confusion where uh, there was a group of them that said, no, you know, that this was the right owner of the Mormonism religion now, the, the right leader now. Some of them said this was the right uh, leader on this end. So 18, 1844, a special conference was held to decide who would be the new leader. And during this conference, a leader named Brigham Young was unanimously voted as the new leader. This would lead to a major split between Brigham Young and Joseph Smith's wife, Emma. Emma believed and argued that Smith had ordained their, their son Joseph III as his successor. This split would eventually lead to the formation of the second branch that we just talked about, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, located in Independence, Missouri, led by his son Joseph Smith III. In the 2001, the church named its new name to the Community of Christ, and the LDS, led by Brigham Young, would decide to migrate to Utah, where they, would, where they felt they would completely be isolated from the non Mormon world, and on July the 4th, 1847, this group arrived in uh, Salt Lake City where they would be set up their new headquarters, and Young would officially become their president and prophet. And so really and truly, uh, this is the, how it comes to be, right? It starts off uh, from, from nothing, and then now that's why we have a group that's in uh, Salt Lake City, which is what most of us would know um, when it comes to their beliefs. And so hopefully that, I know that was a lot at you, but I want to just kind of take you through quickly through a history of where it all began, if that makes sense. So what are their doctrinal beliefs? What do, what do they believe, um, you know, about God and Jesus and everything? So we're going to kind of walk through some of their beliefs. Um, and, uh, and then we will, again, after this, we will go through what do we believe compared to what what they believe. So here's the first thing. What do they believe about God? So here's what the Mormons believe about God. They believe that before creation, God, who was a man, he, was, he lived in a pre-existing universe of co-eternal realities composed of eternal laws, intelligence, physical matter, and everything was governed by these eternal laws. So God was a man, and he lived in this in this reality or this, uh, that had all these things, laws, intelligence, physical matter, and everything that governed even God. They also believe the triune God became Godhead by doing what? By obeying the laws. So God was a man. He was governed by these laws. He obeyed the laws, and that's when he became God. But they also believe that these same intelligences that, that, was, that was in God are found in every human, angel, or God, meaning this. That all humans have the capability to grow in knowledge and power and to become equal with God. This is the goal of Mormonism. The goal of every Mormon is to become God. Listen to what Lorenzo Snow, he was the fifth president of the LDS Church. He said this, now listen, as man is now, God once was. As God is now, man may be. This is the ultimate goal for Mormonism, is to become equal with God. The Doctrine and Covenants teach this, that humans can be equal with God, which means humans would not only be given authority on earth, would also be given authority in heaven, since the Father has given everything to Jesus, and humans are co-heirs with Christ and are given an equal inheritance. So that's what they believe about God. They also claim that they believe in one God, but really and truly, I don't think they do because I believe that they think when they think about the Trinity, they believe that the Trinity, the Godhead, is made up of three distinct 
and separate beings. Listen to what Joseph Smith said. He believes about the Trinity that it's a popular but erroneous doctrine and referred to the Trinity, he did, as three distinct personages and three gods. The doctrine of covenant 130.22 says this, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. But the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a person of spirit, were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. So you see what he's saying about God, what they believe about God? That God was a man who became God, and that we all have the capability to become gods ourselves, and that's the ultimate goal of Mormonism. What do they believe about the virgin birth? One is they don't believe that Mary was conceived through the Holy Spirit, like we believe. They believe that the Father came in human flesh and had a child, really, with Mary. They believe the Father in human flesh, again, was the first of human family, begotten Jesus in his own image, or human flesh, in the same manner as Adam and Eve. Again, this is why I believe that they believe that there are multiple gods. They believe that all gods, uh, all everybody, everybody's a god, that we all can be God, because since humans, we are all begotten through the Father in human flesh. You see what they're saying? Because God came as a human, and he had a child, Jesus is a human, and we come from that same offspring, right, that we all have gods in us, um, and we can all become gods. This is what Walter Martin says. The Mormon teaching concerning our Lord's birth is a revolting distortion of the biblical revelation of one that is keeping with the Mormon dogma of a flesh and bone God. So in their thinking, as reflected in the authoritative declarations of one of their prophets, this is what they say, our spirit was produced, our Savior, sorry, was produced not by the direct act of the Holy Spirit, but by actual sexual relations between an immortal or resurrected and glorified father and Mary. See what, they, see what they mean by that? How they believe about the virgin birth? So what do they believe about man? Well, they believe that before creation, man lived with God as spirits. That during creation, God created a temporary earth home for us to test us. So he created this world so, to put us on it so that he could test us to see if we could live in obedience to God without being in the presence of God. And after death, the spirit leaves the body and awaits resurrection and final judgment in what is known as the spirit world. The goal of salvation and eternal life is to be back again in the presence of God, Jesus and the Holy Ghost, and to become gods again. That is what the ultimate goal is for Mormonism. So what do they believe about salvation? Well, they don't believe in faith in Jesus Christ alone. They believe in three types of salvation. Now, this is really interesting. As I've studied this, this is very, really interesting what they believe about salvation. So, here, so track me, follow me on this. They believe in one, a universal salvation. So what is a universal salvation? Uh, they believe that all humans will experience universal salvation. This is what their version of salvation by grace. They believe that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that, um, that all humans, good or bad, will be resurrected from the grave and be reunited with their spirit for eternity. So everyone, because of what Christ did, everybody, good or bad, will be raised. That's what they believe about grace and universal salvation. But not all humans will receive, I mean, but the second one, so that's universal. The second one is what they call exalted 
salvation. This is the second type of salvation. The exalted salvation is the goal for all Mormons. They believe to be exalted is to be with God and to be like God. This is what they mean by eternal life. Listen, um, the official LDS website defines eternal life as this. Eternal life is the phrase used in Scripture to define the quality of life that our eternal Father lives. Eternal life or exaltation is to live in God's presence and continue as families. The exalted salvation and entrance into the what they call the celestial kingdom is the true Mormon heaven. Exalted salvation means being back home again in the presence of God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Only in the highest level, the celestial heaven, is where the LDS believe that we can continue to become gods. Does that make sense? So the only way you can become a god, which is the ultimate goal, is by being in this exalted salvation. But they believe that this is only a number of people that will achieve this highest level. They believe in a third type. So you have universal, you have exalted, and then you have a third type called partial, partial salvation. And this is where basically, this is the way I look at this. This is like if you just make it. I mean, think about that. If you, man, if you just get by by the skin of your teeth into what they call in, into their salvation, this is the level that you get to. It's a small, you know, it's basically this partial salvation. That's one of the le- lesser celestial heavens outside the presence. You're not, you're not in the presence of God or anybody. You're just there, right? You just barely make this salvation. That's what they believe is the third type of salvation. Very, very interesting religion. But they also believe in what they call an outer darkness. The outer darkness is where the final judgment will sentence Satan, his angels, and anyone who denies God. Listen to what the Doctrine and Covenants 76.31 teach, that the outer darkness is for anyone who knows God but rejects him. Denying God is the unpardonable sin where humans will receive God's wrath and will never be forgiven. And look at what Michael Florney says. They will never be forgiven and will forever be subject to the second death. They will also be the only ones who will not be redeemed in the due time of the Lord. So how, do they, how does the LDS believe that they achieve full salvation and achieve the highest celestial kingdom? Well, there is grace, right? There is a type of grace from Jesus. Again, because of Jesus' sacrifice, that they believe that that's part of it. But they also believe that they must live a certain way. They, be, they believe they must earn salvation by works. They believe that salvation and eternal life comes through repentance of sin, baptism, obedience to the Mormon teaching, good works, and obedience to the command of God. Listen to what the Doctrine and Covenants 14.7 says. If you keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which is the greatest gift of all the gifts of God. So you see what they understand about salvation? Right, that the, yes, you need Jesus. There's a there's a there's a part of grace, uh, but they also believe that you must have works. There, you must do things. And if you really ever study any other religions other than Christianity, you will when you strip it down, you will understand that Je- Jesus may be a part of some of it, but ultimately it comes down to what you do in, in your life and your works. And so Mormonism is the same as a lot of other religions out there that they believe in Jesus. What plus? is what is salvation, which we know, and we'll get to this, is that we believe that Jesus alone is what saves us, right, and our faith in him. And so that's what they believe about salvation. So, so what is their mission, 
right? You see them out probably a lot, you know, and they may have come to your house or whatever. But what is their mission? Why do they do what they do? Well, when Joseph Smith founded and formed the Mormon church, he believed that they were the true church. Remember going back to Matthew 16. He believes that they were given the keys to the kingdom, which means they have all authority, that they are the true church. And so by them being the true church, what? They believe that their job, their mission is to spread the true church and to spread the kingdom of God on earth. That's what the church continues to do today. The LDS the believe that their mission, again, is to restore the true gospel and the true kingdom of God and to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. They believe the true gospel was lost from the Christian church and God desires it for, be, for it to be brought back through the Mormon church. They believe that coming out of the New Testament, after all of the disciples passed away, that the church was lost. And they believe that they were given, they're the true church. And so their role, their mission is to go and spread um, the true church. Listen to what Richard Bushman states. The words Latter-day Saints in the church's name refer implicitly to the saints of former days when Christ called his disciples. LDS think of themselves as saints in their latter days, renewing the, the mission begun by Christ and his apostles at the beginning of the Christian era. Again, they believe that after the death of the apostles, there was a falling away you know, from God, and they believe the New, the New Testament church completely went away uh, and no longer existed. The Book of Mormon teaches that there are only two churches in the world. There is the true church, which is the LDS, and the false church, which is Babylon, Church of Revelation. If you've ever studied Revelations, Revelation 17, Babylon. They believe there's only two churches, and that one is led by Satan. Bruce uh, McConney says this, a former Muslim apostle stated this, If it had not been for Joseph Smith and the restoration, there would be no salvation. Those are some bold words by a false teacher, right? That's what he's saying there. If it hadn't been for this man, Joseph Smith, salvation would never existed. So they believe that their mission is to spread this gospel all over the world and gather God's lost people to the city of Zion, which is the new Jerusalem. They believe that they will usher in the new Jerusalem. And what do we believe? Jesus brings the new Jerusalem down to us. From the moment of its formation, the LDS has sent out men and women, missionaries all over the world to spread the true gospel. Now, let me just tell you this about their mission. If you've ever studied anything about them, they are probably one of the most passionate, missional-minded people out there. Now, they're spreading a false gospel, but they are passionate about that. To the point to where uh, I've heard this said by another pastor is that, you know, every you know, child, they teach them from very, very early in life that they are obligated to give two years of their life to mission. To the point to where when they, the, the child is getting ready to go on mission and they find out where they're going to be going, it's a big celebration. They, they gather them all to the house of that family and they all gather around and when they get that letter or whatever it is they get that says this is where you're going, they erupt and cheer and celebrate for what that child is getting ready to do. Now think about us. What if we did that? What if, what if we found out that our child was getting ready to go on the mission field or getting ready to go in the ministry, whatever it is, and when we, that moment that we're waiting on where that person's going, we, we call our whole family in and we, we bring them there and we find out and then we celebrate. Why? Because they're going out and they're getting ready to spread the truth of the gospel. 
These people are passionate about going around and, and spreading a false gospel. And that's the one thing you can say about them is they are passionate about this false gospel. They also spend millions of dollars on their writings of their prophets and apostles. They are passionate about missions. And I think that's something that we can learn from them. Not to say, I mean, not to say our message is the same. We have the true message. But we should take their passion for missions and we should have that same passion as God's people. Why? Because we have the true story and the truth and we need to get the truth out there and not them who are passionate about spreading a false gospel. So how do their views compare to what we believe? That's what we're going to talk about now. And a lot of this, you probably, if you are here last week, Barry probably went through a lot of this, but I don't want to assume that you were here. And so I want us to walk through what do we, how do what they believe match up to what we believe. So here's the first thing, the Trinity. Uh, they believe the Trinity is made up again of three different people or three different gods. The Bible is clear. If you've studied it, the Bible is clear there is only one God. And there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, though. Right? One God. Listen to what Scripture says. Deuteronomy here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. What? The Lord is one, right? Psalm 86.10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You, what? Alone are God. Genesis 1.26. What does this say? Let us, right? One God, let us. Why does he... Why does Scripture say us? Genesis 3.22, Behold, the man has become like what? One of us, knowing good and evil. In Genesis 11.7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language. We believe in one God who is, who is three persons, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 6.8, Whom shall I send who will go for us, right? In Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the what? Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus, right? So that's what we believe about the Trinity compared to what they believe. The LDS believe God, the Father, has a body and flesh and bones, and that Jesus was a created being. But what do we believe? Well, first is we believe the Bible teaches God is spirit. Look at John 4, 24. God is what? Spirit, right? And those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and truth. Jesus, also we believe that Jesus was God who became flesh. Look at John 1, 1 through 3 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. Now, this is talking about Jesus, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, what? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And with Him, without Him, not anything was made that was made. And then verse 40, 14, and the Word, talking about Jesus, became what? Flesh. And He dwelt among us. And so we believe that Jesus was or is God who became flesh the LDS believe that God was a human who became God after obeying the laws or ordinance of their world they also believe that Jesus was God the father's first spiritual child so they believe remember they believe that God was a human first who became God and that Jesus was created right by God 
then he was his first spiritual child. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the triune God created all things, right? Genesis 1-2, we see that. And we believe that, that God uh, has always been, and he's the one that created. He wasn't a man. He, he was always had been, and he's the one that created everything. But look at what Colossians 1:15 and 17 says. He is the image of the invisible God. Who is this talking about? Well, this is talking about Jesus, right? The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were what? Created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We believe that God created everything, and we believe that he sustains everything. The virgin birth, right? What do we, what do they believe? What do we believe about the virgin birth? Well, they believe that God the Father came as a human and had sexual relations with Mary and conceived Jesus. This is crazy talk here, right? This is what they believe. The Bible, though, teaches that Mary, who was a what? Virgin, conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel came and told Mary she would bear a, bear a child and his name would be Jesus. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be since what? She is a virgin. And in verse 35 it says, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be born, will be called the Holy Son of God. Jesus would be God in the flesh. That's what we believe about the virgin birth. Salvation. What do they believe about salvation? What do we believe about salvation? Well, when it comes to salvation, the LDS do not believe in salvation. Again, remember, through Jesus Christ alone. They believe in a Jesus plus salvation. They believe Jesus plus works equals salvation. They also believe in, again, three types of salvation. Remember, universal salvation, exalted salvation, and partial salvation. The LDS teach the goal of salvation for Mormons is to once again, remember, be in the presence of God and to become God's. Well, what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible teaches what? That our greatest problem is sin. Look at Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Because of sin, humans are born sinners condemned and separated by God. Look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through what? One man, talking about Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God did not leave us in our sin, but he sent his son Jesus to come, right, and pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be saved, we can be forgiven, reconciled back to a relationship with God. Look at these verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, what, gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 5.15, again, going back to the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam again, much more have what? The grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The Bible also teaches salvation is nothing that we can earn or that we can achieve on our own, but it's only possible through Jesus. 
Look at what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says this, no one can come to the Father except through me, right? That's what Jesus said. Jesus says no one can come to the Father. No one can, can have eternal life. No one can be saved and spend eternity with God outside of what? Me. Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God. It's a free gift, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. They believe that we are saved by what? Jesus plus works. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are saved as a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no human can boast. The only human response is to put our faith in Jesus Christ and call out Him to Him for our salvation. And Scripture tells us that if we do this, we will receive eternal life. Look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 10, 9, because if you, what, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what, saved. It's promise of scripture. And then Romans 10, 13, for everyone, everyone, who does this mean? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, right? So we believe that our only response is not to works. Our only response is to call out to Jesus and, and ask him to save us. And Scripture tells us that if we do this, we will be saved. Look at John, again, 3, 16, 18, talking about, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent, that's what, repent and be saved. I'll go back there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Scripture is clear that we're only saved by the work of Jesus and our only response is to call out to him, and that's it, right? Now, the afterlife. They also, the LDS, they have a false view of the afterlife. Uh, they believe that all humans go to one of four places. They believe in the exalted, that's the celestial kingdom. There's a partial, which is terrestrial kingdom, and the telestial kingdom. These are really interesting names, right? And then they also believe in the outer darkness. They're the beliefs that you can actually go to one of four places. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches there's only two places that we can go. where humans, humans will go to one or two places for eternity. All those who place their faith in Jesus for their salvation will where? Go to be with the Lord in his kingdom. And those who, what, do not will go to where? Hell, right? Look at Matthew 25 and 34. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, who, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from, for you from the foundation of the world. John 14, 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to what? Prepare a place for you. 1 Peter 1, 4, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In Revelation 7, 9, and 10, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, 
that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In Revelation 22 and 3, verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the, the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So we believe that those who put their faith in Christ will go to be with God in his kingdom forever. But again, those who do not put their faith in Christ will go to spend eternity in hell away from the presence of God. Look at Psalm 917. The wicked shall return to Sheol. Sheol, um, if you were here when we did the Jonah series, Sheol is what? It's the place of the dead, right? That's, that's hell, right? That's where people go that, that are not a part of God's kingdom. Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who care the body, but can kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body, where? In hell. Matthew 13, 42, and thrown into them the fiery of furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Keep going here, Revelation 19.20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had done the signs which we had deceived, those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. The two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Revelation 20.13 and 14. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were within them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death, the lake, a fire. And then Revelation 21, verse 8. But it's for the cowardly, the fatherless, faithless, the detestable, and for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is, again, the second death. So we believe that those who put their faith in Christ go to be with Father and His kingdom forever, and those who do not put their faith in Christ will go to the place of the dead, Sheol, to hell, away from the presence of God. So those are just some general views about what they believe about some of the main, the main uh, foundational doctrines that we believe. Uh, so hopefully you saw kind of what they believe. Even in the one thing that's fascinating about a lot of these different religions out there is, man, it's, it's very interesting what they believe and how they come to believe what they believe. So what, what is the mis- how can we engage Mormonism with the gospel? How do we engage them? And so here's the first thing. First, Christians must believe that Mormons can come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Uh, listen to what this book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, this is what this guy says. He was a former Muslim who became a Christian. He says this, Christians have the perception that Mormons are unreachable. It's easy to assume they are too entrenched into their beliefs, and this creates in some people a hesitancy to share the gospel with them. I have heard many ask, they will never change. Yes, they can. I am evidence 
of that. So as Mormons or Christians start to engage Mormons, our first response, one is to understand they can be saved. They're not too far from salvation. No one is beyond salvation. But they're also their first response needs to be, our first response needs to be love, respect, and compassion, right? Because we need to understand that Mormons are deceived, like they're, they're blinded, right? Think about this, 1 Peter 3.15 and 16 says this, But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to shame. Peter is saying we must be prepared to give a defense, but we must do it with respect and love, right, in gentleness. Uh, Paul also tells us in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual force. What Paul is saying here, what we need to understand, is they are blinded, right? The non-believers are blinded, and we need to understand they're being deceived. They're, they're blinded, and so when we go into this, we need to understand that, and we need to show them love and compassion. The, the truth about Mormonism there is that they're, they're being deceived by higher demonic influence. Eric Johnson says this, Mormons are not our enemy. The religion of Mormonism is our enemy. Christians must show Mormons love and respect by focusing on them as a person. I read an article as I was studying this of this lady uh, in the Gospel Coalition, her name is Lyle Counterman, and she tells a story in this in this article I read of how she befriended, befriended a Mormon lady, and she started to show her love and compassion, started to serve her, again, showing her that love and her passion, and over time, spending time with her, showing her love and compassion, what happened? She began to start to study Scripture her, and she eventually became a believer. And so that's the thing we have to understand. This is going to take time. It's not something that we can just share the gospel, knock on their door, and share the gospel with them quickly. That could happen. I'm not saying it won't. But most of the time, it's going to take time for us to show them love and compassion. Uh, And over time, we pray that God would show them the truth. But we must show them respect. We also must show them respect by understanding what they believe. This is out of respect, right? You'd hear the same thing if you're talking about Islam, right? We want to see, we want to go to them and say, hey, we're kind of interested in learning about what you believe. Show them love and respect by asking them questions, getting them to share their story and their testimony. Ask them how they became to believe what they believe. And, and here's the things that that will do. One is it shows them respect, shows them that you care about them as a person, but it also gives you an understanding of what they believe. Where are they at? That may help you think about what are some things that you can help them understand about the truth, right? Ask them good questions. Um, Sometimes by asking them questions, making them think through what they believe, sometimes is the best way they can learn what their belief is not true. Corey Miller says this, People are often better persuaded when they arrive at conclusions on their own than when they are pointed to them by others. So ask good questions, right? Find out what they believe, where are they at, and then ask them good questions you know if you think about the story of Jesus at the woman at the well as he engaged that woman he started to really ask her questions he was asking her questions he was talking to her and then eventually through that conversation what did Jesus do he led her to a gospel conversation and the reason why I believe Jesus was able to do that is because is he took the time and he showed her love and respect and compassion and he showed her that I care about you and he asked her good questions and led her right where he wanted her to go, and that's a good thing for us as we deal with Mormons or engage them, is to talk to them, ask them good questions. 
We need to lead them the truth of the gospel. Eventually, right, we want to we share our story, right, but we want to share our story with the truth of the gospel. We need to give our testimony focusing on some things, who God is. God is a spirit and not flesh and bones. God is also the creator and sustainer of everything, and he is holy and worthy of our worship. Christian needs to focus on the truth about man, right? God created us to have a relationship with him and to love him and worship him. But what? Um, but sin has called us. We've rebelled against God. That's what happens in Genesis 3. We rebelled against God, and because we have rebelled against God, right, that's what sin It separates us from God, and man no longer loves God and no longer worships him or even has a relationship with him. That's what happened with the fall. But, the, you know, this is the greatest, this is the man's greatest problem. Again, Going back to Romans 3.10, right? None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through, again, one man, that's Adam, and through death, sin. So death spread to men because all have sinned. Uh, we need to tell them the truth about Jesus. Now, Jesus is God, again, and he is always God. Remember, going back to John 1, verses 1 through 3, talking about how Jesus is God. He, he was the Word. He was with God, and he is God, right? And uh, he created everything. We need to help them understand the truth about Jesus, that Jesus is God, right? The LDS believe that Jesus was conceived through God as a man, and Mary, meaning Jesus is a man who became God. But the Bible says that God sent Jesus, God, who became man, to come and take the penalty of man's sin so that we can be forgiven, saved from sin, and reconciled back to a relationship with God. Again, remember, the Word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us. John 3.16, for God's Lord that he sent what? His only Son, so that we can have eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mormons have a dis, distorted view of Jesus and his atonement. Remember, the LDS believe that Jesus' sacrifice plays a part in salvation, but they do not believe in the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. They believe that Christ's sacrifice was needed and it serves a purpose, but they believe that man also plays a part in their salvation through their works. They believe, again, in a Jesus plus works salvation. We need, as we engage them, we need to focus on the truth that, again, salvation is what? A gift of God. Look at Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And again, Ephesians 2.8.9, we've been saved through what? Faith, not result of works. So we need to focus on salvation. Christians need to focus on the only way we can be saved and inherit eternal life is, again, through faith in Christ alone. Mormons believe in a life of obedience to the Mormon teachings will earn them salvation and eternal life. But the Bible is clear the only way we can be saved is through what? Through relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus again says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. So only believing in Jesus and what he has done for us is the only way that we can be saved and inherit eternal life. The Bible also reveals that the truth that anyone who does not believe in Jesus will what? Be condemned and spend eternity in hell. 
Um, so John 3.18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Christians need to focus on the Christian life. Uh, because of what Christ has done, Christians can have life now and eternal life. Christians are to reveal the truth of the Holy Spirit, right? God himself who lives inside us and who leads and guides us and helps us to not only live the Christian life, but also to have the power to go out, empower us to go and sh- spread the gospel of Jesus. Look at John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you what? Another helper who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot, rec- who the, whom the, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be with you. This is talking about the spirit. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The only way Christians can live the Christian life is by the power of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, 16 to 24, we won't read that, but what it's saying here is, is that, you know, we have, a, we have a, that flesh in us still, you know, our sinful nature, but we also have the Spirit, and they don't like each other. And if we allow the Spirit to lead us, we will live in the way that God wants us to live, but if we allow the flesh, then we will live in a way that God does not want us to live. But the only way that we can live the Christian life is through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, and if we allow the Spirit to lead us, He will lead us into the ways of the world. We are to uh, live a life that seeks holiness and live in a way that honors and glorifies God. And Christians are also to spread the gospel of Jesus so that others can know Jesus And experience him. And finally, Christians are to live with the hope that one day Christ is coming back and he will destroy the evil and the wicked world and he will gather all of us, his people, and we will be with him in his kingdom forever. And that's what Revelation 19 through 22 tells us is this is that Christ will come back one day, he will gather his people, he will judge the wicked world, and he will gather his people, and we will be with him in his kingdom forever. And so as we engage Mormons, We need to understand what they believe, and we also need to get them to understand what we believe, which we believe is what? The truth, right? So in conclusion, and I know this was a lot at you tonight, so hopefully it wasn't too much, but in conclusion, when we're engaging in Mormons, here's what we need to do. We must not be fearful, right? We must go back to the screen. We must not be the peek through the... uh, uh, you know, to the, through the blinds, right? I heard a comedian say this, that if you really want to have these people not knock on your door, uh, put some, put an outline, chalk outline of a dead body and then sprinkle some religious pamphlets around. I wouldn't suggest that if I was you, um, but that's what he said. But we must not be fearful of them. We must be willing to engage them. We must be in prayer, right? Prayer is the only way that we can engage others with the gospel is through prayer we must seek prayer the first time when Jesus told the disciples the the harvest is plentiful what did he say pray right pray first prayer has got to be the first response we must not believe that they are beyond salvation right that's the key we have to understand if we believe that they're beyond salvation that's not going to motivate us to go share the gospel we must believe that they are not beyond salvation remember 
what I said earlier, they are deceived, right? The, Satan has deceived them, and we must understand that, and we must understand that the gospel is more powerful than Satan, and God can save them. They are not beyond salvation. We must understand, again, that they're blinded and they're deceived. We must show them love and compassion. Remember, we must, must show them, we must show them that we care about them, that we love them, and we must have a conversation with them. Ask them questions. Listen to them. Again, going back to Jesus in John 4, if you study that story, that's exactly what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He just had a conversation with her. He listened to her. He asked her questions, and he engaged with her. And slowly, as he listened to her and talked to her, he led her right where he wanted her to go. He led her into a gospel conversation. And the reason why he was able to do that, I believe, is because he took time to get to know her and to show her love and compassion. And the last thing we must do is we must point them to the truth of the gospel. Remember, the key is, going back to the very beginning, the key is understanding what we believe. And I know we talked about that last week, but that's why it's so important for us as God's people is to know Him, to know His Word. Um, That's because when we are approached with something that doesn't line up with Scripture, we can understand uh, if it's false or not, based on if we know the truth. If we don't know the truth, if we don't know what God's Word says, how can we go out and understand when we hear something that doesn't line up if we don't know? And so that's why it's key for us to understand what we believe. Again, going back to that's why we start off this series with understanding what we believe so that when you hear what is not the truth, you will understand and go, there's something not right about that. I need to look into that more. And so hopefully this was somewhat understandable. I know it was a lot at you. Uh, again, I will let you know how I did on my paper, so please write that loosely. Uh, if, uh, if I didn't do good on that, then I will let you know, and you can just rip that paper up if you want to. Um, but like I said, if you want more information, I've got resources that I can, uh, I can point you to that I used a lot for my research. Uh, if you care to learn any of this more than what we talked about tonight. But thank you for coming. Let me pray, and then we will be done. And next week, we will be looking at Jehovah Witness. So let me pray.